you know, something about doing this show every week and sitting here talking to you for an hour and a half, like we're on the phone. Yeah. It's, it reminds me of like fifth grade being on the phone on a Saturday morning with Kristen Carpenter, like just talking about anything for three hours. Wait, who's, who's Kristen Carpenter? The hot girl in fifth grade. Oh, right. Wait, no, wait, am I the hot girl in this scenario? Hey, this is episode 41 of On Taking Pictures. My name is Jeffrey Sidoris. With me, way over in, is it cold? Where are you? No, it's not it's, cold. It's a little cold, actually. It's uh, in the 30s, maybe? Ah, okay. Uh, fancy New York photographer, Bill Wadman. Hello, Jeffrey. How are you today? I'm good. I've been in a car most of the day. Uh, cars are those things that get you from point A to point B that aren't as big as subways, right? That is, that is right. That yep. is right. Uh, I was out visiting my dad for his 72nd birthday. 72 years old. 72. He and his best friend, uh, his best friend, Dennis, uh, who turned 70, their same birthday. Uh, Dennis came down and uh, spent the night. Wait, did you say same birthday? Yeah, same day. Okay, wow. Yeah. So uh, they've been friends, geez, since 1971, I think. For longer than this show has been going on. That's right. That's right. Uh, But we had a very nice dinner and took a bunch of photographs and uh, it was a good time. Excellent. So I, I literally just got home about an hour ago. So are you sure you're ready for this? Because I know. looking I was looking forward to this the whole ride home. Really? Absolutely. That's so nice. Uh, and we did stop in Ludlow. So, wait, so tell me. Well, well, tell me about Ludlow. OK, Ludlow is is this this sort of forgotten town on Route 66, uh, which is is used to be the, the main way to get from basically the West Coast to Chicago. It ran all the way from the West Coast to Chicago. And uh, Ludlow is one of these little forgotten towns that when the interstate went in, just died. Uh, and it wasn't really even a town, really. So uh, do you now when you go from there to here, do you actually take the highway and get off or do you actually drive Route 66? No, take the highway and, and get off. Because the historic is, is takes you forever. Oh yeah, it takes you forever. Uh, and there's a there's a fantastic documentary uh, that Billy Connolly did just I think last year, where he takes Route 66 in all heavy the way brogue. From, yeah, yeah, in heavy brogue <laughs> on a on a three wheeled uh, trike motorcycle type oh, sure, thing. Sure, yeah. Uh, all the way from Chicago to the West Coast. Interesting. Is that on Netflix? It, it's on Netflix. Yes. Wow. Okay, I'll have to look that up. So, uh, but now it's, it's just a couple, you know, sort of dilapidated structures and, and we went and just took a few photographs and, and had anybody live there? Stop. Uh, a few people, there's, there's a cafe there. Uh, there are, t- I think two gas stations, there's a little motel and there is uh, a dairy queen. It's, it's amazing to me as somebody who's grown up on the East coast I mean, I've, I've traveled a bunch on the West and, and just the idea that there are these places out West where land isn't worth anything. You know what I mean? Yes. Like and here, there, there every single square foot is like wanted for something. Mm-hmm. Uh, where out there, it's like, yeah, there's nothing going on here. So we're just going to let this buildings, you know, fall apart and <laughs> decay and, and we're just going to walk away. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's interesting because on the, on the drive to my dad's house, you... Where, from where we live, you go up the 15 and then you go out the 40. Uh, and, and there are these little sort of ramshackle, you know, buildings that have just been left in disarray. 
some of them have cars around them or trucks or something. And it's, it's like somebody went out to sort of make a go of it. Uh, and, and for whatever reason didn't work out and, and the building has just been left. And often they're, they're these little cinder block buildings or, uh, they're sided with like metal siding or tin or something like that. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's like, uh, it's not un- dissimilar to that Bombay beach place. Absolutely. Yeah. At the Salton sea. Yeah. Which very is very similar. Man, I drove out there. That was trippy. It's a strange place. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where there's entire sections of the town just inundated by floodwaters. So yes, these the RVs got stuck in the mud and they just left them there. And yes. so they've just decayed for 30 years, uh, 40 years. Now. I think it was in the 70s. Wow. That's so it's but it's like that where you just are standing there just like how could humans just let this go like this? Mm-hmm. It also shows you how much things just fall apart without humans there. Yeah, it's very strange. Yeah, uh, it's it. I mean, it's. There's a desolation there, but there are still Salton Sea in particular. Uh, there are are still people living there in in the town. Yeah. So Creepy. you've yeah you go from block to block of you know people living or and then these these just sort of abandoned mobile homes that are falling into disarray. I mean, it's really a strange place. Do you feel nervous in places like that? Yes. Like if you turn the wrong thing, somebody's going to mug you or steal your car or, you know what I mean? Get, you're going to get attacked or pulled into a place and never leave. Something like that. I, I There's tend like to, hairs on the back of your neck, even like irrationally so. Yeah. Uh, what's strange is, I mean, look, people live in, in different ways in different areas of the country. And, you know, you never know. Somebody may live in one of these things that on the surface looks abandoned or forgotten. Yeah. And, and you're wandering around and, you know. Somebody comes out and says, hey, you know, what are you doing kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's strange. And places like that are, are very odd. Um, there, I think my dad told me this story. There's a, there's, a, there's a train that is in the Salton Sea that if you go to this certain spot, you can still see part of the town buried by water. The, thing just, the town just flooded oh, and everybody really? left and there's still part of this train uh, under the water. Man, the Salton Sea is such a strange place. Yeah, it's very strange. I remember my, my father, when I was a kid, uh, he used to say, you know, there's this giant, like, uh, uh, saltwater sea out in the West Coast called the Salton Sea. And I remember my father used to talk about how there was this giant, you know, lake in Southern California that no one knows about because it's sort mm-hmm. of in the middle of nowhere. And it was always this like running thing that like, get the map, let's find that Salton Sea. Like it was always this thing when I was a kid. Right. So a couple of years ago when uh, Heather and I were out there, cause she had a thing in Palm Springs. I uh, took the car and I drove down to Bombay beach and took some pictures and that whole thing. Um, and it's just, it's so surreal because it's like, it's actually here. And I remember mm-hmm. thinking to myself, here I am. My father never came here, but here I am at this place that my father talked about. It was it was like something out of, uh, you know, parables in Europe when people like, you know, if you go out past the edge of the ocean, you fall off, you know. Right, right, right. There's, you know, um, there's a whole world of gold across the ocean. And here I was like in this really strange place in the Salton Sea. It was just very odd. Yeah, um, it's, it's a weird place and it reeks. Oh, it's stinky. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, uh, yeah crazy yes people live in in all different kinds of ways um 
Anyway, it made for good. You know what problem bothers me is that I think places like that Bombay Beach or this Ludlow that you went to, probably a lot more people go there to take pictures of the decay than come there to eat at the diner and fill up gas. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably true. Which I wonder if at a certain point those people don't dislike the people who are just coming to, you know. Well, I would I would imagine they would. You know, yeah. it's like, you know, wh- how are we so different? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, what, yeah. what, uh, what are but we But then again, to? you know what? If those people didn't come, no one would go get gas. Right. Or stop and get a grilled cheese sandwich. Yeah. Uh, uh, there is also an interesting film. It's on Netflix. It's kind of a documentary about the whole area, and it's just called Bombay Beach. So if you haven't seen that, really? check it out. Yeah. Oh, I got to watch that too. Yeah. It's Man, really so wild. Watch. Uh, you know what? Let's let's talk about, since since it came up, you took some pictures. I did. Come on. One week in with the camera. What do you got? Love it. Okay. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Uh, the, the JPEGs out of the camera yeah. are gorgeous. Uh, we're talking about a Fuji X Pro one. Fuji X Pro. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, I'm, I'm still kind of getting used to how it does what it does and, and, you know, kind of how it meters and, and how it focuses. It's a little quirky in that way. Um, but you know, like any other new piece of gear, you, you get used to it. And I, I really like the usability of it and, uh, it's a lot of fun. I, uh, I will admit that I'm a little jealous. Yeah. I was looking at the, the files you sent over before the show and, uh, they're beautiful. Thanks. Uh, the, I mean, the photographs are nice, but like technically the, the, the files are really, really nice. I mean, yeah, they're, they're sharp, clean, they're right? detailed. Yeah. There's, there's, they don't lose their highlights. It holds highlights really well. And that's in JPEG. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's, I, I'm impressed. If I had $1,500 sitting around, I'd probably buy one for myself. Um, well, uh, you know, maybe we should take up a collection. Do you think can the, we, yeah, can we, can nice. we kickstarter you a new, that would be <laughs> really nice. <laughs> if you guys want to do that, that's fine. Um, I'm really not going to stop you. I, I really shouldn't have any say in such a thing. Cause, uh, you know, Oh, don't no, please don't do that for me. Yeah. Don't do that. Yeah. But, but if you were going to, yeah, <laughs> make sure you get the black one. No, um, <laughs> uh, no, but beautiful files. Uh, I just, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody wrote in the other day, uh, somewhat as a little, uh, kind of related quick pull up from the emails down below about I was complaining last week of how I liked on those rangefinders having the uh, film advance knob. Right. And Aaron, this guy, Aaron, a listener, Aaron wrote in and was saying that uh, he read somewhere that they were going to do a manual advance when they were making the M8 back in the day, but that they found they couldn't put all of the mechanics in to do it like that. It took up too much room. Oh, okay, so the 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 gears just wouldn't fit into the body. Okay, that yeah, makes sense because they had all this other stuff going on and whatever it is. Sure. I, don't, I don't know that that's true or not true, but that's what he says, which is kind of interesting. Uh, I still would have put some sort of little thing like the little thing that you got um, mm-hmm. on there, which just, I love, by the way. It, yeah. it really does change the usability of the camera. What's the company that made that? Uh, it's called Match Technical. Okay, and and somebody wrote in. Gosh, I don't remember who it was. They sent me a, an email or, or uh, maybe it was a Twitter message. Basically saying, you know, like 150 bucks for this. Yeah. But, you know, that's exactly what I thought until I tried the thing. And yeah. it, it really does. It, it really does give you a little more leverage when you're holding the camera. And it's just, you know, to your point, it's it's some somewhere to rest your thumb where it would have rested in an analog camera. Right. Right. It's kind of cool. Um, mm-hmm. Aaron also pointed out that there was a manual uh, cocking digital rangefinder. Uh, made by Epson 
about five or six years ago, which is true, called the RD1, um, which I never had and I never tried, but I always wanted back in the day. Wait, so it was a digital rangefinder. Yeah, it, it had a crop sensor. It used a, a Leica M mount. And uh, it, I'll put some links in the show notes. There's some okay. uh, good articles on Luminous Landscape about it. Um, so it's a cropped camera. So, you know, if you put a 35 Leica lens on it, it acts like a 50, that kind of thing. Sure. Um, but that, and it was six megapixels. And it wasn't that great in low light. But at the time, you know, years ago when this thing came out, it wasn't bad. You know, it did a pretty good job and it had, it felt like the old thing and it had the cocking uh, thing. So I actually looked up on, on, uh, eBay. They still go for a little bit of money, too much money to get one now, because the problem is now you have to worry about the fact that there's a, you know, the screen is tiny and it's only six megapixels. So it's like at a certain point, it's like, all right, what am I really buying? (laughs) You know? Right, right, right. Oh, I'm looking at it right here. Yeah. They go for like $1,500. And, oh, the screen is tiny. And oh, it looks like a little dual yeah. scan. Remember the old dual scan yeah. TFT screens? Okay, That's well, what it looks like. There's two things about it. Number one, I like the fact that you can turn the screen over and make it look like there's no screen at all. Mm-hmm. So you can shoot, not just turning the screen off, but make it feel like a film camera. Right. It's kind of neat. Um, the other thing is that, uh, yeah, now they're like 1600 bucks. See, they're not worth it for 16 except for as a, you know, for $1,600, you can get your camera. Yeah. Um, which is... 10 times better in any sort of measurable way. Uh, but I, when I was uh, over in England, I was dating this girl in England. Uh, she had a friend who worked for Epson in the UK mm. and he had one of these things. And at the time he wanted to sell it to me for 600 bucks. Oh, wow. Cause he had gotten it for free from work or whatever. Mm. And, uh, and I didn't take him up on it and I still somewhat regret it. <laughs> but then I go look at it now again and it's kind of like, you know what, what, what would I do with this? You know. What what are the files look? Did you ever see any any results from it? What are the files uh, look like? I didn't. I mean, on Luminous Landscape, they say that the files look great. You know, but great for a six megapixel camera from seven years ago. You know what I mean? Like right, it's not. Right. Um, see, at, at at ISO two hundred, noise is almost non-existent. At four hundred, it's noticeable. At eight hundred, it starts becoming becoming problematic. And sixteen hundred ISO is not in the same league as say the twenty D, which was not all that great at sixteen. Wow. So. Um, it's just, it's, you know what I mean? It just shows you how far we've come right. with digital photography in the past X yeah, years. I mean, I shot some stuff with my Fuji at 32 and 64 yeah. and they're beautiful. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, so yeah, you could get one, but you might as well just get one of these. But it did, the point is that it did have the little uh, cocking lever. And I remember at the time I was like, why didn't people make more of these things? <laughs> uh, but when this it's thing- It's good size though. If you look at it next yeah, to a Leica, it's, it's big. It's pretty big. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it's the kind of thing where until the digital Leicas came out, this is what people were looking at. But mm-hmm. again, it just shows you how far we've come. Uh, what do you think about this? Did you watch this David Hockney video? I did. Who sent that into us originally? Uh, I don't remember, but it went around quite a few places. Okay. Yeah. So, I, you know, the story goes that Hockney was, uh, David Hockney was invited to, uh, <laughs> Adobe uh, was, an, was a fashionable old dandy who... Yeah, 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 exactly. Who's <laughs> very cranky. And, yeah, yeah. Put on his it, best tasseled shoes. Adobe and, uh, invited me over. <laughs> uh, so this would have been, what, 88, 89? Yeah, something like that. 91, and, uh, 90. Yeah. got demoed uh, the, the, this, the newfangled Photoshop. Did he, did he, he says something like that, too. Photoshop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and came away, he says on the car ride back, 
saying that this this would be ultimately be the death of chemical photography. Right. Yeah. That Photoshop would would uh, eventually surpass chemical photography and 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 in large part uh, help with its demise. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? I you think. Well, go ahead. What's your question? No, I just I, I do you think that that do I think that Hockney was right? Um, yeah. Yes, I think. That, <laughs> um, I'll go on a limb and say yes. Uh, digital photography has taken over. Um, I mean, look, I, I think that I think there's a number of things going on here. Um, yes, I think he's right. Uh, I also, you know, I've ever since I watched this, I've been thinking about it because the other day. You and I were on, and we were dropping links back and forth about color grading in movies. Yes. Okay. And we were watching uh, "Oh Brother, Where Out Thou," mm-hmm. and um, and uh, scenes from what else was I watching? A scene from? Well, it, it was uh, that documentary about uh, restoration. The, the scene from The Godfather. Right. Okay. Yeah. It was the scene from The Godfather where they show the original film like print, and then they show after colorize. You know, after they fix the color in post. Right. Right. Uh, the and green. the original was really like a blue-green cast. Yeah, because it was probably shot under fluorescent lights in a mm-hmm. restaurant, you know? Um, the reason why I bring it up is because it got me thinking about the whole idea of chemical photography somehow being more natural or organic. I mean, okay, it's, clarify it's, that for a minute. Right. The process of it or the end result of it? I, I think that, well, both. I think that there are people out there who uh, bemoan the loss of chemical processes because they think that they are somehow more correct than mm-hmm. digital, that, you know, more have more soul, you know. Okay. Organic in the secondary sense, not in the sense that, you know, there's carbon in it, but in the, sure, sure. In the sense that there is... Uh, some sort of process going on that, that is, that is, that is life based somehow, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I personally, I would agree with that to a certain extent. Okay. Right. But the more I thought about it, I kind of came to the conclusion that, you know what, in reality, there's a whole lot more translation going on in any of those processes than goes on in digital photography. If I have a digital camera, a modern digital camera that, you know, is whatever, and I take a picture of, you know, the street in front of me, that digital photograph looks a lot more like what came in the lens than a piece of film would have shown me. Sure. It's it's a much more direct representation. Okay. You, know? you It's in much the same way as in audio for a while, there was like this push towards warming things up with tubes, mm-hmm. you know? And the problem is, is that tubes are adding distortion, it's just that we happen to like the way that distortion sounds. See what I'm saying? Sure. So, I mean, so you're likening this to almost, so f- film is, is providing in a sense a, a visual distortion that, that we find appealing. Exactly. That's exactly okay. right. Right. Okay. So, but, so anytime people talk about it as if it somehow has more, that film is somehow more moral, you know what I'm saying? How people talk yeah. about this kind of stuff. Um, I think that's a bunch of poppycock. Um, if you're talking about accuracy, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Yes, I said poppycock. I've been watching too much Rachel Maddow would you, lately. Could would you reach down and adjust your spats? <laughs> <laughs> one, one moment, please. <laughs> um, no, I mean I, I see what you're saying. I, I but 
Well, okay. So th- I just okay, go ahead. Uh, there was that thing, and then then I was watching that. Oh, brother, where art thou? And they were talking to the cinematographer, right? And th- what mo- when was that? Like six years ago, that movie. Uh, yeah, maybe. maybe. Okay, let me look it up. So where they're talking to him and they're just like, yeah, so, you know, we, we took the, uh, we shot on film and we took this film and then we scanned each frame and then we had it in the computer and we made all these color adjustments and these things that we couldn't do in the real world. And we, you know, and then we use a laser printer and we print it back out to film. Right. Uh, uh, then that would be uh 2000. So, oh my God, it's 12 years old. Yeah. Oh, wow. I had no idea. Um, and and they were just like, and then we print it back out to film. And, and you know what? This is the future. This is the way things are going to be done. Yeah. No. And it just kind of cracks me up that these people really thought that they'd still be shooting film in 10 years. That they didn't right. realize that, that this, your digital intermediate, as they call it in the, in the movie world, would end up being the digital final version. You know, right. That there is no going back to film at the end. Well, and, and now, I mean, you can get, what is that camera that Claude used in the Black Magic? Uh, Isn't he black, using a? He was he playing using with one the black of magic, and he was actually even playing with the uh, the the Canon One D C, the four K Canon camera. So he yeah, so he's using these cameras that are four K. The the black magic is what thirty five hundred dollars. Yeah, that that one's two K, but it's yeah, it's like or thirty, okay. 3, bucks. Yeah, gorgeous output, oh, right? Yeah. Yep, beautiful. Bests any sort of film you're going to get for the. I mean, you know, it's unbelievable tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yes, it's true that David Hockney is correct that somehow okay, Photoshop but- is 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 destroyed. The chem- but like, who cares? This, you know what? The chemical process has slowly been being destroyed over time. People are not using the same film in the '80s that they were using in the '60s. Well, other than right. Kodachrome, but no one's using that now because it's gone. You know, it's. Well, I it's, think one of the other things was he the, all- the boring comment. Yes, that somehow, it, yes, that it's that it's wrong because uh, why was it boring to him? I for, exactly what did he? What was his argument? I think it was uh, kind of based on the heart idea that that it, it's taken the soul out of it, and that it's somehow the machine is now doing the work, which is sort of ridiculous That's as a well. Bunch of bull. I mean, it's this, yeah. it's the same argument people have been people have been making that argument forever. And and I, look, I agree. Look, last week we had a big discussion about pulling frames from 4K stuff and saying, well, that's the machine doing everything. Well, that is. I just think that it ruins uh, ruins the experience of doing it. I don't think that it, you know, I think that using Photoshop is still just a tool that some guy is controlling. At least there's, you know, that kind of stuff going on. Right. Um, I, I I think that that's a weak argument. Yeah, I mean uh, it's interesting. Take if you're listening, take a look at the at the clip and you know and the, the thing is too is we are you know you and I have lived through the transition from this last ten years. Tra- literally, the transition from film to digital has happened in the last ten years. We are just now in the last year or so at the you know what everyone's moving forward on digital. Right, it's over. Well, except Christopher Nolan. Except Chris <laughs> Nolan, who you know, <sighs> don't get me started. Um, <laughs> You know what? Chris Nolan in three years will be shooting on red, whatever, just like everybody else. Um, <laughs> mark my words. <laughs> you heard but, it here. Um, so I think it's it's interesting that we have literally moved, lived through this revolution in what we are talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this, there were other revolutions going on. There were probably there were people in the seventies who probably said automatic exposure was you know right 
a waste of stuff. And then, oh, autofocus in the 80s. Oh, you know, how dare you have a computer in your camera? Yeah. And, you know, Put, putting the light meter in the camera. You yeah. need to hold it. Yeah. So there, there's been there's been technological innovation along the way. This is just a very large sea change. And we have just gone through it. And but there were people like Hockney in the in the 80s and stuff who were looking at photography and they were on the tail end at the, at the pinnacle of analog film and they they're looking at it on a, in a very um at the, they're standing on top of the mountain that has been built over the course of 150 years you know well thinking uh, there's yes. no way and, that any other mountain's going to be this big and it's kind of like well you know what that that's that's an illusion that you have cuz you've never seen anything else it's like if if all you've ever seen, my <laughs> famously my you know i i i always talk to about my parents and stuff and say you know what our our my parents generation who were working in the late 60s 70s and 80s and 90s like saw immense growth of their stocks and bonds and that kind of their their investments you know grew at something like 10 percent a year year over year it was like the the greatest stretch of growth in the history of the world so if that's all you ever lived through you would expect that that is what would happen forever right and then you know the past 10 years has been pretty flat (laughs) and and someone some people would say well you see what i'm saying like they wouldn't believe that it was ever going to stop and then it stopped you know, right. um, so I think in the same way, it's like, well, film is here. Film is obviously better. Film is whatever. To, to talk about anything else is you're, you've got to be something wrong with you. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and and this was him talking in what? Tw- 2011. Right. Right. He still sounds like a cranky old man, though. Well, OK, I, ju- I sent you a, a clip. Hockney, they gave him a paint box, which is a, a, another type of um, it's a it's a graphics computer, basically, that that. Uh, was kind of the first thing that allowed you to paint with a stylus. Do you like his work? Hockney? Yeah. Uh, some of his things. Okay. Uh, I, I, I saw him at uh, one of the shows he did at MoCA a couple of years ago, and it's hit and miss for me. Okay. Uh, anyway, he was using this paint box and, and you know, painting digitally. And if you can well, – maybe we can put the, the, ship, the, the clip in the show notes. It's called Painting with Light. Uh, and – this was long before anything else had, had been available commercially. And I don't know. I mean, to your point, it just seems like this, the Photoshop comment is, I don't know, too little, too late. Well, I, yeah. I mean, and he was kind of saying what he thought then. Does he still think it now? Um, I don't know, actually. Uh, look at that. See, look at that piece of there's also, you know, if if all you if you see technology from the beginning, you have a very different view of it than if you saw it at its mature state. Right. Um, Hockney, what a weirdo! <laughs> Something about that guy that cracks me up. All right. Uh, anyway, on. interesting. Uh, yeah. Hey, what do you think about? I was I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, feeling uncomfortable. In what context? Uh, artistically, you know, like, do you like artistically, that? Do you creatively? Like, yeah. Do you like the feeling of feeling uncomfortable? Yes. I you think do. for me, it's necessary to, to do, to move forward, to do anything. Somebody's got to push you out of the yes. boat. Well, somebody or something, yeah. whether it's, it's me, uh, learning a new technique or learning a new piece of hardware or software. I, I like I like being, yes, pushed in, in some direction or, or trying to give myself certain creative challenges to get over. Yeah. You know, you can only use three colors. 
go paint something. You can only use, you know, yeah, whatever. Um, you can only shoot in black and white. You can only shoot uh, in portrait in black and white. Yeah. Uh, I, I think those types of things allow greatness to happen more easily. Uh, I agree. And I was thinking about, cause there's some people who obviously don't like it, but obviously you need to feel uncomfortable to grow at some point. Right. Or at least to grow at any good state you have to, mm-hmm. you have to have that kind of thing. And uh, lately I've been using, I have a, a grid on my, uh, beauty dish. Okay. Which sounds like the name of a new band, but yeah. Uh, Wait, when did you – I thought you didn't use beauty dishes very much. What are you using them for? Uh, I don't use them all that much or I didn't use them all that much until I got my grid. And now I can't stop using the darn thing. Really? Yeah. Uh, what about it? What What is it that's, that's well, if you swayed go, if, you? Like on my blog, that picture of that girl Emily, up yeah. against, that's shot with the grid. Um, I think that actually the one of Melanie from a few – like the week before, the black and white shot I think was shot with the grid. Uh there's something about this, like in this, this tight cone of soft light. Okay. It's just fascinating to me. So the, the grid, I'm still very much the amateur here. The, okay. the grid is, is just focusing yeah, it's the just light a, to a tighter circle, but it's, but it's not, it's not changing the shadow quality or the, or the hardness or the softness of it. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's, it's, it's like a honeycomb that goes in front of the light that allows right. you to control the, the spread. Okay, but it's uh, not changing the quality of it as it falls over the face. No, no, or not noticeable. And, and and I mean, uh, beauty dishes. I mean, they're 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 harder than a soft box, but it's still not you know anything really hard. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's not like a direct light. It's like a big direct light. You know, a, a, a foot across direct light, which kind of actually makes it probably look like a big Hollywood light. Okay, if anything, like a big like two K Hollywood light. Right. Uh, and yeah, I've been using it like in these dark, in a dark room with a dark background with just this light uh, in the front. And, and, it, and it's just, it's, I've been taking a lot of stuff like that and it's exactly, uh, I don't know, it's like, it's everything that I've been shooting for the past few weeks. That's what I've been using when I've been hmm. shooting all the studio stuff. And it's just kind of, it's, it's, I guess my point is that. I'm shooting portraits not like I would have. I mean, it's still me, but with another tool in the toolbox. Mm-hmm. And the reason I bring this up is that I think it's an interesting thing to sort of, you know, we we have friends who who uh, who get all the new stuff, get all the modifiers, you know, all, all the stuff that comes out. That's what they're getting, you know, because they want to try all this new stuff out. And there is always new stuff coming out. But if you're starting out and you don't know where to start, buying a whole bunch of stuff is not the way to go. Uh, the way to go is to buy a small amount of stuff and, uh, you know, buy a light with one umbrella and work with that until you feel completely comfortable and bored with it. <laughs> and then buy a softbox or a beauty dish or a grid or, you know what I'm saying? Right. That I've had this beauty dish for four or five years now and I didn't really use it much. And then I got this grid and I'm like, oh my God, I can't take this thing off my light. Uh, well, you know, when I, when I got my camera, you said, and I, I said, okay, now I want to get this and I want to get this and I want to get this. You said, no, 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 no. Just go shoot with it. Yeah. Go shoot with it for a month without anything. Yeah. Just go see how light behaves. Go see how exposure behaves. Go see, you know, learn to focus with it, learn to, to compose with it. Yeah. And then if you want to add a light, make sure you have a reason for adding that light. Yeah, it's true. Which I thought was really great. Do you have a reason for adding a light yet? Not yet. No. 
Uh, I mean, I think that that's a that's a that's a place where a lot of people get lost. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I had to I had to shoot this girl, same girl for this magazine, uh, on a white background. You know, your usual standing on a white background shot that they were going to cut out and put on a white page. Okay, and um, and I ended up using I think three lights or four lights. I had three lights because I had the white background and then I had two umbrellas sort of behind her that both lit the background and gave her a rim light. Mm-hmm. And then uh, a big octobox in front, just a super soft, the whole front of her, you know, off to one side. And it was fine. And, you know, it's like, th- this is what the magazine wanted. And they sent me some pictures of what they had done before. And the, the, oh my God, the pictures were so bad. I don't know really? who they had shooting these pictures. I mean, just the quality of them was just no good. The light wasn't very nice. And I'm like, okay, yes, I can do this picture for you, but can I do it better than this? Cause this <laughs> is really bad. <laughs> like there was no, there was no, I don't, I'm not talking like a hard edge light, but just like a little bit of softness around the, the sides. You know what I mean? Like give her a little mm-hmm. light coming from the back. So it doesn't look like so cut out. Um, anyway, we took the really nice light and it was fine. That's what they wanted me to do, whatever. But then after that, we said, I said, you know, let's take some pictures for us to see if let's do something. That's not what they wanted. Right. Uh, and uh, the first thing I reached for was this gridded, uh, huh. uh, beauty dish, you know, and, and, and it's just, it's just, it's, it's got me, uh, uncomfortable enough in that the results that I'm getting are a little different than what I've gotten before, but right. also comfortable enough to know that it's still, I'm enjoying what I'm doing, but it's not what I've done before. You know, it's like a, it's like a slightly uncomfortable, you know, what, what was the reason to begin with? I mean, you, you had just come off of the December project. Yeah. I think Did I that- bought this in November, but I didn't use it during, during December. Okay. Did, I don't think I've even asked you this. Did, did the December project leave you satisfied creatively after going through it or, or inspired or are you, are you still in this point where like, okay, that was good and I did it, but I'm still like, I, I, that didn't scratch me where I itch. I still need uh, I something else. I felt fulfilled and there is maybe 10 of them that I feel like, oh yeah, I nailed that. That was exciting. Okay. That expanded my... Mm-hmm confidence mm-hmm. you know you were saying the other day how like uh you know when you shoot or when nikki shoots or whatever it is like you can almost feel like each thing you're doing it, it's kind of like you're building something you know what i mean right. like there's this right. and i felt that way i feel that way from it like i felt like i did something as opposed to just sitting around i like made some new stuff for myself mm-hmm. um do i feel like it brought me in a whole new direction well no but i think it some of it the compositing stuff that I was doing is the best compositing I've ever done. Mm-hmm. Like things like that ghost story, that was really hard and it right, worked right. really well. And I was like, okay, well <laughs> look at that. I made something with a fire that didn't actually have a fire. Right. Uh, well, and, and t- as an example, you, you, you look at the before and you look at the set that you used and then look at how it all came together. Right. And yeah, I mean, that's a pretty dramatic example of, of going, yeah, okay. I nailed that. Yeah. Exactly. Now I, now I've got, I've got that not only, toolbox that are those tools that I can add to my toolbox, but I've got that kind of aesthetic where I can recognize what's working and what's not working. So if I have to do it again, I feel more confident that I can, that I can go into it successfully. Right. But I think part of the problem that I have is that when you're working on the conceptual stuff, you tend to be so focused on the concept Mm -hmm. and the technical stuff because you have to get that right for it to work that a lot of times the, 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 the model, the subjects and their, 
interfacing with the subjects ends up being an afterthought. Okay, everything's working. Everything's all set up. Okay, act like this. Okay, yeah, that's pretty good. Oh, shoot, that light on the side's not going off. Okay, somebody go check that light. Okay, uh, back, do what you were doing a second ago. Okay, you know, mm-hmm. it's that kind of thing as opposed to all the technical stuff is already there. I just have to work at it. You know what I mean? Like right, that. Right. Now it's about me and the subject and we're doing our thing. It's like the, the, the work that I do is either this highly technical conceptual stuff or it's very minimal sort of portrait stuff. And I almost feel like I'm there's the, the, the hole in my artistic mind is how to bridge that divide mm-hmm. or if I should bridge that divide, maybe I shouldn't. But so after doing a month of those, I, the stuff that I've done over the past month has been much more small, much mm-hmm. more intimate, much more right. These portraits ahead. you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, and I had bought the grid because, because of, Gary Yost actually because huh, uh, nice. he, he had he had taken a picture and he had said that he had used a gridded beauty dish and I said you know what I've never liked my beauty dish mm. and maybe it's because it just spreads too much mm-hmm. you know that I, I like the light that comes out of it but it also just spills all over the place I said maybe if I get a grid and I asked him like you know how wide a one you get because you can get like a 10 degree or a 20 degree or a 30 degree I think I think I got a 20 somewhere in the middle mm-hmm. um and I ordered it and they're not cheap too. They're like $80 for these grids, you know, cause it's just this little plastic thing, but it's this huge honeycomb and they're kind of fragile. How, how big is your beauty dish? Is it 16 uh, or 22? 22. 22. Yeah. It's, it's an old buff one. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because when I got it, uh, buff beauty dishes were not very good. Um, I mean, it's like a heavy steel thing, but the, the paint that they use, the white inside was not accurate white balance wise. So mm. it was too warm. So if you if you had your white balance set to daylight to you know fifty two hundred fifty four hundred, you'd end up with something that looked like it was shot at sixty four hundred, mm. not ISO. I mean degrees. Kelvin. Right, right, right. Uh, so it was it was I had a problem with it, and I ended up going and getting spray paint, like white spray paint, and spray painting the inside of it again, up on the roof to to like cool it down a little bit. And it's still a little off. So if I use it with other lights, I have to sort of do some work in post to get it correct. Mm-hmm. But it's also, I mean, you know, a pro photo beauty dish is like $600 where this one's like <laughs> a buck 12. Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. you really can't, uh, can't mess around. But, but the practical upshot of it is that with this grid, it just, it, I, I feel like that, like even that picture of that Emily girl, it feels like it feels much more like the light that Heisler gets mm-hmm. than the light that I used to get. Uh, and I like that fact, that sort of control, we, the sort of we love thing. Heisler, man. Heisler's good. Do you see this picture? This uh, we're gonna put in the show notes. This shot of Ed Koch. Uh, I saw it when you sent it. So yes. So uh, it's it's a very nice shot. Former mayor of New York, Ed Koch, uh, died this last week, and uh, back in 1989, uh, New York Times hired. Heisler to go uh, shoot Ed Koch. And apparently like he spent the whole day with the guy and the guy, you know, he's followed him around for the day and, and, uh, and Koch was all on point the whole time. Hey, you know, talking, whatever. Mm-hmm. And apparently he has this weird thing where he would, he, he can nap for a couple minutes at a time and then wake up. Mm-hmm. Some people say Hillary Clinton's the same way. Did you ever hear that? I have not heard this. Oh, you got a little crunkly there. Uh, 
And uh, yeah, apparently Hillary Clinton can like fall asleep anywhere. And so uh, he went, he went back to, uh, he got out his eight by 10 view camera, big camera. And one of the things, there's a, there's an article in the New York times photo. There's a blog for the photography section of the New York times. And, uh, and the, the, uh, the editor, Kathy Ryan put up this article and she said that, uh, he chose an eight by 10 view camera because that type of camera requires each sheet of film to be loaded individually. And it slows things down. Subjects react to it differently than they might normal cameras. They respond with extra effort that goes into working with the camera and Koch was no exception. And so they took this really nice, he took this really nice minimal sort of shot of Ed Koch, uh, which I, I liked a lot. And I'll put the thing, the thing in the show notes cause it's kind of a nice little story. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's there is if there's a difference between cameras, it's not about the quality. You know, we've talked about this before. You know, you don't need medium format digital unless you plan to print really, really huge. Um, right. That's true. Uh, but there, there is something where people look at you differently. You know, people react to the camera a little bit differently. I don't know that they'd react that differently to a medium format camera than my camera. You know. Uh, but maybe the large one. Well, th- there's a nice little aside here. It, uh, after the resulting photograph was published in the magazine, Koch liked it so much that when his mayoral term ended, he asked that a print of it be hung in City Hall in lieu of the traditional commissioned oil painting. The large print that was made became the first official portrait of a New York City mayor that was not painted. Yep. That's That kind of says something, right? No, it's amazing. And, and you know, it's funny. The first Obama portrait we were talking about the other day, that the old one with the flags behind it that uh, – P. Souza took was the first digital photo of a, of a president. They'd all been filmed before that. Mm. So even in 2004, it was still film, you know, uh, which makes sense, but you know, just interesting. Hey, you like, you like the new, the, uh, this, this new portrait of Obama speaking of Obama. Uh, are we, are we talking about the, uh, one by, um, what's the guy's name? Uh, Chris Buck. One? Chris Buck. Yeah. You like this? Uh, this is the one on the new Republic. Mm hmm. Uh, am I speaking freely or am I being political? <laughs> when do you not? <laughs> uh, it's a fine picture. Is that? I think a good it's a little. It's it? a little boring for me. Yeah, it's a little boring. Uh, I, I. It looks like it could have been a shot from something else and then cut out for the cover. You know, like it almost like could have been shot with a background and then somebody cut it out in Photoshop versus having a black background. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, I mean, I'm not taking it any away from. Chris, I mean, look, as he says, you know, you walked in the map room and then they had everything set up and then they got, uh, he, he, he had four minutes and 21 seconds. Right. Um, cause they actually, they, they use a stopwatch to figure out how much time you have. Uh, he has a lot of, you know what I was interested in? Uh, he had a lot of these black, uh, sort of, uh, light controls things, right. panels right. and stuff which I don't know how they added too much to the shot. Well, I mean, it's, is I don't it tend they're to just do that. sucking away any extraneous light. Is that maybe they're, they're these, and I also, big duvetine panels or something? Yeah. You know? And I also wonder like, you know, you, you're shooting the president and you have the map room, which is this cool room with all this stuff in it. And you set up black paper. I mean, maybe the magazine demanded it on black or whatever it is. I just think that it just feels a little, I don't know. Yeah, it's just super, uh, super stress, though, man. 
You have four well, minutes that's, with the guy. That's the thing. But but you know, this is another example of of you know, interesting subjects don't always make an interesting photograph. True. Yeah. And and you know, when you get somebody like Obama who's been shot four hundred million times, <laughs> right? There's also the kind of thing like, what am I going to do that's different? You know, right? Uh, I, I mean, there's one thing that that you can say about say that Platon photo of Clinton is that it doesn't look like other Clinton photos, mm-hmm. but that's just because he has that his whole shtick with the. But, but it does look like every other Platon photo. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, it does. <laughs> It looks like every other Platon photo. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, you know, no offense. If, I mean, if that's, if that's kind of your thing, then great. But I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, but always interesting to see behind the scenes photos of lighting setups. Yeah, the setup photos are great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it looks like uh, he was just bouncing stuff off the wall and stuff. It looks like because mm-hmm. you could see the big blast of stuff on the wall behind him. Uh, I don't know. It's interesting. It's, it's okay. You know, not the best picture. Uh, if I don't know what I, you know, I, that's a good question. Like, what would you do if you were going to shoot Obama? Do you have any thoughts? I don't know because it, well, it's, is it, is it dictated to you? I mean, it, it sounds very much like, well, here's where we have you set up. Here's how much time you have. Um, get the best you can. Well, if, yeah, but I mean, you, you get to set up the and light talk and stuff to him and say, "Hey, what do you think about this, Barack?" Well, you, you, know? you, you, you could, you could have multiple things set up and spend two minutes of your four minutes and fifty three seconds talking about setups. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. I mean, sort of what that seems like what Platon did with uh, 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 Putin that time. He had it all set up, and then he just like talked to him for a few minutes. I mean, it's. I guess it's an. It's a fine photograph. There's nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. It just. Meh. Yeah, there's nothing special about it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, you know, if Chris listens to the show, then he's going to hate us now. Right. Well, hey, let me be clear. I couldn't have gotten this photograph or anything no, nearly this good. It's, it's, it's a perfectly nice, it's a lovely photograph. It's just not special in, you know, in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, you know what? I, I wanted to say something. Uh, I was thinking Uh-oh. about the other day. Here it comes. Uh, you know, we sit in this larger... We we poo poo a lot of the gear stuff a lot of times, right? I don't know that we. Well, I don't. I, I just I don't think we give it the weight that it's given elsewhere. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Um, but I was thinking about the other day. You know what? It, it, I think that we need to look at ourselves, ourselves being you and I, and I guess the community of people who listen to us. Uh, th- there is a place for all of that stuff. It just isn't the only game in town. And mm-hmm. I guess that's why you and I wanted to start this show to talk about stuff that's not that stuff, right? Yeah, no, I, I mean, look, I, I, I like gadgets. I like gear. I like learning about new stuff. I like experimenting. I'm, I am, uh, you know, a work in progress when it comes to it. But I think that the other stuff, working on the intention, working on the purpose for using the gear – I think is for me, it's more important and it's more interesting. No, entirely true. Uh, I guess my point is that, I mean, even in the news stories and stuff we pull up, we're pulling them from F stoppers and Petapixel and Phoblographer. Sure. You know what I mean? In fact, I was, I was uh, tweeting 
uh, with Chris from uh, Fabog. I can't even say the stupid thing. Fabographer. Why is yep. that? Is that a hard word to say for you? Uh, no. Okay, I just have a hang up about it. I just can't say the word. And 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 I think it's because I I called him out for writing that article about the lenses last week, right? And the, uh, the DXO thing, is yeah, that what it yeah, was, yeah. yeah. And he wrote me on Twitter saying that he, uh, he thinks that I misunderstood his intention. Uh, so we're gonna have we're gonna have a, a drink this week at some point. Uh, and maybe we're gonna learn something. But I guess the point I'm trying to bring up that's is pretty that, awesome though that he listens to the show. Well, that's the thing. That's kind of what I was getting at. Is that like you know we are critical of people sometimes, but I wanted to point out that we're not critical because we don't love you. We're all part of the same community. Sure. We're just looking at it from a different angle because we felt like this angle hadn't been seen enough. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Uh, anyway, just it was just kind of interesting, and it, it, it I don't know. That's that being said, say. can can we talk about some of the awesome photographers using my camera? <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, you're going to see this thing, right? This, yeah, there, there's an aperture show. Somebody talk sent about this that. to you. Uh, yeah. What, let me see this. Uh, so Fuji basically gave uh, a bunch of people an X Pro or yeah, an X Series. Fuji camera. didn't give me an X Pro. Yeah. Uh, and, and some heavy hitters, Nan Golden, William Eggleston, Ryan McGinley. Mm, you know how uh, I love Nan Golden. Yeah. Uh, Martin Parr, Terry Richardson, Stephen Shore. I like And Martin said, uh, go shoot with the thing and let's see what you come up with. And then they're going to do this show at, at the Aperture Gallery, which you apparently are going to see this week. Yep. I plan to go on Thursday. Uh, Heather, I was going to go yesterday during the day, but then Heather said she wanted to go. So we've uh, planned a little date around it. Um but kind yeah, of interesting. It is interesting. Uh, interestingly enough, though, the show's only up for a week. Oh, really? Yeah. Which yeah, I don't I know if I that's a common it. thing. I'm sure at some point they will, you know, show some. You'll be able to see more of this stuff. What I found interesting is that I went and looked at some of the pictures, and uh, they look like Stephen Shore, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they look like Eggleston. You know okay, what I mean? Like which Eggleston, first time shooting digital film. Right. Okay. Oh, that's, there's, there's a good thing right there too. It says that in here, doesn't it? Yeah. It says the digital film. That is what they're calling it. Digital film. Who, who's calling that? Is that what Fuji likes to say? Uh, they, I, they, I think so. I, I, think I noticed the that in the building. press release and I was just kind of like, who's trying to do that? Yeah. You know, who's trying to play that game? Well, and they've got their, they're not, they're not calling them presets built into the cam- camera. They're calling them film simulation modes. For getting, you know, Velvia, Astia, um, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, but it's, isn't it interesting though, that ultimately their pictures look the same? Yeah. I mean, not the same, like in a bad way. I just mean that they are, they are consistent with all of the work that they've ever done. And I love Ryan McGinley's work. I got to tell you. You do? Yeah. I like Ryan McGinley a lot. I think he's a very talented guy. Uh, I just I, I think that that is a fascinating statement, though, about mm-hmm. the the disregard of the instrument a lot of the times. I mean, you may find one is more cohesive to the way you work or has features you like or, you know, feels more comfortable in your hands. But ultimately, it's your vision. And that is by far the most important ingredient, you know. Uh, yeah, I look forward to going to see this. I want to see how big they are. Mm-hmm. Uh I want to see how nice they look. They, they they make me want one of those cameras a lot. 
<laughs> not for my professional work, but for my personal stuff. Like I'd it's like a, to carry that camera around. I don't know that I'd want to use that camera if I was shooting with strobes in a studio with, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a fun camera. It really That's is a exactly. fun camera. The, 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 using this thing, I'm, I'm really enjoying it so far. That's exactly so. what I'm jealous of. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, are they, uh, when is that, uh, yeah, it closes on the ninth. So if you're in New York between now and Saturday, I guess that is, uh, make sure you go check that out. Uh, yeah. Uh, the other day, I don't generally make a habit of, of watching the, uh, Chase Jarvis live things. The creative live. Yeah. Now, the other day was a good one though. Uh, right. Well, yeah. Okay. So some, a lot of times they have a photographer on there and he's like, look, this is how you use a strobe. You know, there's that stuff. But then sometimes he does those little interviews where he's sitting down with people on the, on the, uh, on the couch mm-hmm. and they had less Stroud on. Uh, is that survivor, who you were talking about? Survivor guy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Did you listen to any of it? Yes. Okay. So for those of you who don't know, Les Stroud is the guy who's on that TV show survivor man on what is that? Discovery. Uh, I think so. I think it's discovery. He's the crazy nut job who takes a bunch of cameras alone into the wilderness and videotapes himself trying to survive with, you know, a single stick of gum and his little knife <laughs> and, a, and a paper clip. <laughs> yeah. And it's fascinating and it's engrossing to watch. And I love the show and I respect him more than, you know, a lot of people, uh, we're big fans of Les Stroud here at this house. Okay. Uh, but what was interesting about it was the way that Les Stroud talked about uh, how he was doing what he was doing. And, and he was saying that uh, art, he said art is driven by intention. And he was quoting somebody else. Or maybe Chase Jarvis was quoting somebody else. Uh, that, that, you know, if you break a plate, if you broke that plate on purpose, then that is art, arguably. What do you think about this? Uh, I, I, if you dropped the plate and took a picture of it, that's not art. But if you broke that plate intentionally and took a picture of it to be art, it is art. Uh, it's, I I still think it's a photograph of a broken plate. Okay. I just think that it's, it, it goes along with our intention. I I don't think you can set out to create art. That, that shouldn't be the end result. That's a, okay. This is, this is getting deep already. Go ahead. Yeah. I I don't, I, Saying what can you I'm set gonna, out to make? I'm going to go create art. I mean, you're 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 already. Isn't placing... anything you make art in some way? Well, where's the line? I, I don't know where the line is, but but uh, is is are the pictures you took today in Ludlow art? No. See, I would say some of them are. I okay, but but see, that's that's where that's I think where that's great. If if you want to call them art. If somebody else wants to call them art, okay. But for me to say, I'm going to set out and make some art. I mean, it just, it just sounds goofy. Okay. It sounds goofy to you. Yes. But to is, me. Is that your own hangups about not thinking you're good enough? I don't think it's that I don't think I'm good enough. I just don't want to, I think I don't want to put that label on what I do because I, I'm, well, this goes back to our email from last week of somebody uh, asking, "What is an artist?" You know, yeah, you call I mean, yourself an artist. I don't know. I, I don't have a cohesive argument for it. It just feels goofy to say, you know, I'm, 
that's it's like I'm going to go create a masterpiece or right. I'm going to go create, uh, you know, it might be. It might not. Well, I don't think you can say I'm going to go create a masterpiece, but I think you can be intentional about trying to create something. I don't know that you can control what comes out, but I think you can control beginning. Yeah. Hey, I've I've set out to create, you know, really in my head, really great work. And (laughs) what I end up with is not great work. Yeah. You know, and and the other side of it, I I will, uh, some sort of happy accident will happen and... Uh, a, a piece of great work might come out of it. So I, I, I don't know. It just, it feels strange saying I'm going to set out to create art. Okay. I, it feels strange to me. Okay. Uh, and maybe it is that I don't think, you know, I, I'm, I, I, I like the surprise of having created something that might be de- like you, you saying, Oh, these photographs, I would call those art or I would call some of them art. That is, is amazing to me, but I didn't, set out. I was just kind of looking through the camera and, and snapping something that I thought was interesting. Okay. But I think at a certain point you have to step up and say, you know what? I am making something that I sh- that should be called art. Um, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm trying to get there, but I don't think I'm there yet. Okay. I don't know. I just think, I just think it's, it's an interesting thing. And then, uh, the other thing he was saying is that, you know, he would go out and do these videos and make this art and somebody would say, uh, make, you know, make this show. And some people he would talk to would, this is before the show became a thing and he started making money on it would be like, you know, how do you do this? How do you go do this without money? And his answer was, you don't, you know? Yeah. Uh, but that also doesn't mean that you have to limit yourself with money. You know, if, if, if what you want to do is quit your job and go make videos in the woods, you can make the choice to do that. Sure. You know, you, it may be that you have to go into lots of debt on your credit cards, but that is a decision you can make, you know, at least in our first world, there are things holding you back, but a lot of them are somewhat decisions in your own head. Right. If you have a hangup that you need to make sure that you're paying your rent each month, each month, and you need to live in X size place with X kind of car and Y cable modem then yeah, you, you, you may be limited, but like if you, if you throw all of that out the window, the limits are, the limits are, are man-made. Right. You know, uh, you know, I, I get, I need to revise. I need to rethink this. Maybe the intent to make art is, is there, there's a nobility in that. There, there's a, there's a truth in that, but maybe it's calling it art yourself. Maybe that's what I still have a hang up about. Yeah, but then there's the whole thing that says, you know, if if you don't call it art, no one else will. Yeah, I know. I, I'm telling you, I'm a work in progress. I'm yeah. a work in progress. And I, I I think it's I think it's germane to the conversation that a lot of our listeners have with themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know what else is kind of germane? Uh, What's that? The the uh, Steve McCurry's last role of Kodachrome. Uh, I've got a love hate relationship with that. Uh. I know this is old, but I just came upon it the other day while flipping through some YouTube stuff. And I watched the little documentary, mm-hmm. uh, following him around shooting the last role. Right. So if of those of you who don't know, Steve McCurry's, you know, this super famous Kodachrome guy who shot the picture of the Afghan girl for national geographic. He's a big national geographic guy, a uh, bunch of pictures you've seen. Um, and he asked Kodak for the last, the, the final role of Kodachrome 64, I guess it was. Uh, when they stopped making it a few years ago and he 
they made a little documentary about him choosing what he was going to shoot all 36 frames. And you can uh, go see it. It's on YouTube. It's low res on YouTube, but I'm sure there's a better version somewhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've watched this? Yes. Okay. Uh, Number of interesting things. One, he's shooting with a digital camera that he's carrying around all the time until he finds a picture that's worthy of the film. And then he pulls the film out settings to what the digital camera was. Basically using the digital camera like a light meter and a Polaroid. Yeah. He's he's previsiting with another camera. Yeah. Which is just kind of funny to me. Yeah. And you know what? I bet you the, the files on his other camera look just as good as the files that came out of the Kodachrome. <laughs> but I'll put that aside for the moment. Um, the other thing is they show him walking around all morning in New York City. He's in uh, Chinatown. He's in uh, – where else was he? Uh, he's in Chinatown. He was like in Central Park or something. He went into Grand Central. He went to all these places that are – you know, known hot spots of beautiful pictures and couldn't find one picture to take mm-hmm. or one picture that he thought was good enough to take. And, and I don't know if maybe part of that was the feeling that he was like, if he was, if he was going to break the virginity of this role of film, it was hard to take that first picture to get it started. Right. You know, like what's worthy to be the first picture you start, you know, you, when you have a role of film, there's this sense back in the day that, you know, at least in the beginning of a roll of film, if you didn't shoot tons and tons of film that you would try to make every picture count. And mm-hmm. then you get to a certain point in the role where you become a little more liberal. Cause you're like, oh, I just want to get to 36 so I can go see those first ones. Right. Right. Um, and he, I think he had the same kind of, uh, motion with this kind of thing. So he goes around all and all the way through lunch and can't find anything that he wants to shoot, which I think is an interesting statement to, uh, the people who walk around and they say, oh, I got nothing to take pictures of. You know what? The big boys sometimes find nothing to take pictures of. Right. You know, Steve McCurry is not perfection. He's not a genius. Uh, he's just a guy with a camera who's been doing it longer than you have. Most likely, unless you're Jay Maisel and you're listening. Hi, Jay. <laughs> uh, hey, Jay. <laughs> and so he goes and he, he makes a few calls and he gets, uh, what's his name to come down? De Niro. De Niro to come down to take some pictures. Uh, in some sort of movie theater kind of place. And they're okay. You know, they're not See, amazing. that's the thing. Most of the photos on this role, for me, are just okay. The, the, the ones that stand out are because the subjects are exotic, not because the photos are particularly brilliant. Right. Well, that's that's my next point. So then he decides in the documentary that he's going to go to India because – India has all these crazy colors and all these beautiful things. And he shot all these amazing pictures there and he does. And he goes and he takes a bunch of pictures that are very, very nice. Especially that guy with the crazy gold beard. Mm -hmm. Right. That's probably my favorite shot on the roll. Right. And I think it's his favorite shot on the roll. But the funny thing is, is that that picture, it, that picture would have looked good no matter what camera and film he took that picture with. Right. You know, that when it comes down to it, was Kodachrome really about this film at all? Hmm. Or is that did it, is, did it gain this sense of mystery and 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 mystique over the years? Yeah. Is it just a myth? You know, hmm. this, the, the, later in the role, he just took some random pictures to basically fill up the role of like some old woman sitting on a bench reading a book. Yeah. Or his his feet in the hotel room. Yeah. Those do not look like particular. These are not like oh my god, look at the beauty of Kodachrome. Right. To me. Those just look like random pictures that anybody would take. They look like any film to mm-hmm. me. There's nothing special about those to me. Yeah, there's not a 
there's not a real signature to these to these photos. No, I mean the the ones with the really garish colors, like the blue wall behind that guy, or you know the the, the crazy beard or the red thing on top of the guy's head. Yeah, okay, those have that Kodachromey look. But is that just because they have these aquamarine and beautiful walls and things in India, and that would have looked that way if you shot it with, you know, Portra one hundred and sixty or, you know, Velvia or with a five D three, right? You know, I just I, I wonder if the 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 mystique was somehow in the fact that when people were taking these pictures, like the Saul Lighter pictures in New York City, that New Which York City, loved. right? But that New York City really just looked like that back then. Right. And that's what was special. It wasn't Kodachrome. So the environment became the character. Right. And so now we look back and we go, oh, it looked that way because of Kodachrome. And it's like, well, did it? Or is it just that it looked that way back then? And people wore shirts with that color. And people, Mm -hmm. you know, cars, you know, gleamed in a different way because they had different kinds of lead paint or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. You know, because you look at these pictures and you're just like, eh, they're okay. But there's nothing mind-blowingly amazing about them. Right. I don't know. I just, I don't know what you, I was just. And interestingly enough, 36 pictures on the roll. There are only 30 pictures here on his page of the last roll of Kodachrome. So what were the other six pictures? (laughs) They were overexposed. If you're going to show me the last roll of Kodachrome, (laughs) show me all of them. Right. You know, what's missing here? Uh, I don't know. I just feel like, do you understand what I'm saying? Sure. Like if you're going to go out on a limb and show people an entire roll of film, show me the whole roll of film. There's a picture down the bottom of somebody took a roll of him, a picture of him in front of a cab. Right in front of the cab. Yeah. Yeah. That looks to me like any film shot out of my Leica would have looked like that if I, you know, put a roll of, in fact, there's a picture on my wall of, um, of my sister in front of this bar years ago that I shot with my Leica and somebody's walking. There's like people standing in the background. We're out in front of this restaurant. People are standing in the background. This woman walks in with these crazy white shoes and it, it, it's the composition's kind of neat. And, uh, and, but it's, it's kind of grainy and it's got a weird look to the colors because it's film and you know, you're trying to fight it. A lot of these pictures look the same way. They look kind of grainy to me, mm-hmm. you know, like even the ones of De Niro, look really kind of chunky and grainy. And I don't know if it's the JPEG or out of, out of focus, you know what I mean? Or motion blur, like all the things that we look at and digital and say, Oh, you know, digital it's, it's because we're pixel peeping a lot more. When you were shooting film, people weren't scanning it at 4,000 DPI and then staring at it under on right. digital at 400% magnification. You were looking at a loop or you were looking at an eight by 10 print. You know, if you, right. sh- if you, all your stuff you shoot on digital that you bitch and moan about the quality, if you, all you ever did was make an eight by 10 print or look at it under a loop, you would never see half the things that you're complaining about. Right. You know, it's like, it's like our microscopes got more powerful. Well, I mean, how many times have you, have you shot something? It looks great on the back of the camera, but then you bring it into Photoshop and look at it at 300%. You're like, Ooh, that's soft. Yeah, totally. It's, I mean, th- that happens all the time. You know what? On film, you probably would never have even noticed. Mm-hmm. You would have gotten a four by six print and you would have been, and you would have been happy. <laughs> get off my you lawn. You would have enjoyed that four by six print. <laughs> Don't make me get the hose. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 Um, and then they, they show him go to, at the end of the documentary, they show him go to, the photo place. I forget what the hell it's called out in Kansas or whatever. Yeah. It was uh, like, Oh God. Was it Daryl's? Yeah. It could is be. It, is it Daryl's? Yeah. Uh, no, but it did, did start with a D Darren's D- David. No. Anyway, we'll figure it out. 
uh, and they, they show him sitting there waiting for the stuff to come out. And then he's looking at it in the dryer. Dwayne's. Dwayne's. There you go. Uh, and then they show him looking at the stuff coming out just to show that it's actually there's pictures on the roll, you know, which is always the scary thing on film. Uh, and then they're, they're, they've got the machine that 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 uh, mounts the slides and it jams. <laughs> and, and I'm just like, oh, my God, could you imagine if it ripped apart like two of his pictures in the process? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's like things go wrong. You know, people are like, oh, my card got erased or my hard drive crashed. Hello, Steve. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> stuff happened like that in, in film all the time. People just, you know, sorry, uh, nothing came out on that roll. It's like, no, you screwed it up. Uh, I don't know. Just it, it, I don't know. Inter- I just thought it was interesting. And if you guys haven't seen this documentary or these pictures from it, I think that you should go take a look because it's kind of it's it's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. Is that fair? Fair, absolutely. And, and another example of how exotic locales trump lighting and composition. Uh, yeah, and they, they shouldn't, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you think? Should we do some emails? Yeah, it's we have time. time. We good? Yeah. We're, we got about 20 minutes left. Uh, sure. Uh, where do you want to start? Uh, start with... Uh, I guess the the email from Fernando. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what did what did he send in? This is, oh, this was this light box thing. Uh, this was the uh, what was it? A hundred and twenty foot wave or some craziness that somebody rode on a surf. Yeah. You know, you know what's a bad idea? <laughs> Surfing a hundred foot wave <laughs> anywhere. Very very long lens. Whatever he was shooting with here. Yeah, it's great though. The perspective of 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 this shot, I really like how it just sort of slammed it all together. Yeah, it's it's very very flat. He must have been shooting with a very long lens or cropped in on a on a fairly long lens. Um So this is yeah, a photo of a guy surfing this crazy wave. I'm surprised there aren't a billion photos of this when it was happening. Yeah. Uh Garrett McNamara rides a wave uh off of the coast of Portugal. Uh the wave was reported to be around 100 feet. You ever go in like big waves? No, I don't go in the ocean. Really? No. Is that like a personal thing or yes. something we can't talk about on the show? I'm just not a big fan of the ocean. You don't go in at all? No. Have you ever? Yes. Interesting. Um, I'm just not a big fan of the beach. You know, it's it's like dirty and I, sandy and you um, get all sticky. Yeah. No, I'm not a big fan of the beach either though. Although I, I am somewhat fascinated in a, in a romantic sense with the ocean. Yeah. It's big, I like rocky bigness beaches. creeps me out. Yeah. Rocky coastlines. So like up like in uh, Oregon. Yeah. Oregon or even, you know, big Sur. Yeah, sure. Okay. Monterey. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, his question, I guess was, is this a good photograph or just an interesting subject? And is there a problem with that? Um, I, I think it's both to, to me anyway. It's, it's a fine photograph. I think it's a very good moment. I think it is a, uh, one of those things where sometimes photography is there to capture reality mm-hmm. and, you know, to, to be there as an observer as almost like a photojournalistic kind of thing. And in that sense, this is a great photo, you know, um, is it, if, if it didn't have the guy you know, stick your thumb, cover up the guy coming down the wave. Is, is it still really all that interesting? Well, it's a giant wave. Okay. Yeah, it's still, I mean, the compression still makes it look like this tsunami that's just going to crumble that little building. Right, right. But you know? it also, but it doesn't, it doesn't quite have the same charge without the guy in there, right? Sure, sure. Um, 
So I guess I would say it's probably more a great situation than a great photograph. But, you know, your mileage may vary. You might have a different view. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know. It's kind of weird. Uh, all right. We already talked about Chris Buck shooting Obama. We already talked about the rangefinder. Wow, we got lots of stuff. Let's do Jesse Myers. Uh, which, okay, which one is that? Uh, Jesse is, uh, my name is Jesse oh, this Myers. Is on page two. I've been listening to the podcast since episode one. Thank you, Jesse. Now, Jesse, did you go back and listen to episode one or were you there at the beginning? Because, look, we don't, we don't want hangers on around here. <laughs> uh, just nice. kidding. Um, enjoyed listening to them all from your insights with Fogger for the week. Keep it up. Thank you, Jesse. Uh, I have a question for you. I'm a high school photo teacher of 15 years, formerly trained and worked as a professional for years before teaching and continue to shoot myself. Sorry for the long-winded explanation. Believe me, Jesse, if you saw some of the emails you get, (laughs) this is the shortest email we got this week. Uh, But my question is, if you had a room full of high school photographers, what would you want to say to them? Jeffrey Sidoris, you're on. Uh, What would I want to say to them? Yeah, what would you want to say to them? Uh, Shoot a lot. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. Don't be afraid to show people your mistakes. Don't be afraid to keep them and look at them and even study them and go, why didn't this work? Or ask people, what do you think of this? Does this work? Does this, do you connect with this? I mean, you took photography in high school now? Yes. And is that what you would have wanted to hear? That's what we did. We, I mean, every project was put up on, on the, uh, the board with like thumbtacks and we would go around and talk about what worked, what didn't work. And that, that's something, that idea of, of, kind of a crit wall. Uh, I love that idea. I love group discussions of, of, of artwork or design work or even product, whatever it is. I I think I gain a lot of insight listening to people and listening to opinions and, and, and hearing what works and what doesn't work, you know, because sometimes we're out there, we're, we're trying to create something, whether it's music or, or a photograph or a painting or whatever. And, and you're only listening to your own inner voice and, you may glean some amazing insight from somebody else. You may not, but if you don't at least open yourself up to it, you'll never know. True. No, that's a good point. Uh, I, I would say that, um, no, yeah, t- shooting a lot is a good thing. I think that there is an argument to be made that all of your students should be listening to on taking pictures. Um, <laughs> you know what you should do on, if your class is on Tuesdays or, or no Wednesdays, cause it would be during the day. You should just spend an hour with us. Yeah. Just, you know, spend an hour and a half listening to us. No. Um, <laughs> see, this is an interesting question for me because I didn't take pictures until I was 30 years old. Right. Um, so for me, I was never the high school kid who was trying to make art. What would have helped you? Okay, let's say you're going back to high school. You're all happy Madison or something. Go, go back and, and sit in this room never having picked up a camera. Are you able to go back and say, gosh, I wish I would have had this little bit of, of insight or I wish somebody would have prefaced me with, with this? Uh, man, that's a hard question. I... There's, there's, there's a big, there's a big, uh, dichotomy in the answer that I want to give on one side. I want to say, expose the students to all kinds of photography, 
you know, show them, do sort of a photographer of the week kind of thing and show them a bunch of different people and a bunch of different work to show them how this art form has changed over time. And having them try to emulate other people is not a bad thing. You know, sort of a sound alike. In in college, we used to have to record stuff to make it sound like some other song. We used to do these sound alikes, you know. Oh, okay. Re-record Billy Joel's Big Shot, but, you know, do it with your team to make it sound as close to the original as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's something to say for that because you're learning skills and try to figure out how to deconstruct stuff and everything. Uh, there's also this sense that 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 then they the the students can then get some sort of understand where they fit in to the whole thing and where their creative juices tend to push them. They, they may find some inspiration from the people that they're looking at. But the flip side of that is that I, I feel like there's a, there's a danger that that will stifle creativity by inundating them with people who blow their mind. Okay. Like how can I, sure. How can I compete with this? Exactly. So in some ways, I also, the flip side is that I want to say, don't let them look at anything, (laughs) you know, let them work in a vacuum for three to five years. And that, you know what I mean? Which of course is an absurd comment in today's digital age where, you know, we can give you 10 links to photographers of everybody you want to ever see, you know, you could find it. But if you look up 100 best photographs ever taken, I'm sure there's a list somewhere on some site, you know? Um, So I... I would go back and forth between those things because at at that age, I feel like you're so fragile psychologically and self, not psychologically like weak, but just fragile in the sense that your self confidence and your self image is still forming. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like your chrysalis has just opened up. Uh, it's, it's a tough one. You know, I think people should make the kind of work they want to make their entire lives. And I think starting in high school is a great way to do it. There, there are amazing people that I've seen just in the last couple of weeks that are like in their twenties doing fantastic work. Yeah. Those, those people suck. <laughs> we want to name any names, but no. all of you suck. screw you. And, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. No, I mean, and it's, and I think, I think it's, uh, well, to a large degree because the immediacy of the tools are there. Yeah. You know, I mean, when it, in film, and this is one of the great things about digital, in film, it, you either had to have the money to send it out and have it processed or take it to the lab, yep. or you had to have the space or the darkroom to do it yourself. You know, it's funny that there's a there's a, another section of that Chase Jarvis thing with Survivor Man where he was, see, I always, I always had the feeling that Chase Jarvis had some sort of like family money or something. He always hmm. sort of had that air of a guy who, you know, was looking at things a little differently. Okay. Um, and I think I got the wrong, I think I got the wrong thing because there's part of it where he says that his wife years ago, his wife was working as a waitress and she used to bring her tip money home and that's the money he would use to f- get his film processed. Yeah. To day. process his film. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he thanked his wife. He's just like, yeah, she's back there. And I thank her every day for this, you know, that she, you know, she got me here, that kind of thing. Um, and it's just it was just kind of a lovely little uh i don't know just kind of a nice moment but it, but it's it just goes to show you back then you had to save up even to see the pictures you had taken it cost money to take pictures right uh something we forget now i mean c- cameras are more expensive now but they don't cost money to run you know mm-hmm. it's like a more expensive car but it doesn't need gas 
Well, and look, I mean, you can go buy a, a T2i or even a T3i or whatever, and uh, the kit lens is going to be an amazing piece of yeah, kit. Yeah, you 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 could do fine for six hundred bucks. Yeah, or less. Uh, you could buy a two-year-old camera and still do great. You know. Uh, anyway, just it's it, it's it is it inter- it is interesting. Uh, I would also say to Jesse Meyer's class to get used to shooting manual and understand why you want to mm-hmm. make the changes mm-hmm. you want to make. I think there's another good point. Um, I think I think understanding the basics of control and how to deal how to handle light, so you so when you do have an idea, you know how to make it happen. I think that's all good points too. Sure. Got anything else to add there? No, good good stuff. Thank you, Jesse, for uh, for writing in. Uh, one last email from Mike. Uh, put a link to the online photographer uh, talking about how no one cares how hard you worked. Damn it, Mike. And uh, yes, they do. It was, it was, a, it was an article. Some guy shot, uh, it's a Saturn one launch in 1975 for Apollo Soyuz. And he took this Beautiful picture. Color in that shot, isn't it's, it? it's a really nice shot of, of the rocket up on, uh, on the pad and the lights gleaning at night. And he talks about how difficult it was to fit that much uh, dynamic range into the medium format film he was using and how he got the exposure just right. And he was lucky and he worked hard and he had a hard time printing it, whatever it is. And he showed it to a friend of his and he started talking about how hard it was. And the guy said, cut him off and said, no one cares how hard you worked. And, uh, and I, and he says, I've never forgotten that it's a really, really important lesson. All photographers to take to heart. If someone likes your photograph, how hard your work doesn't matter. If they don't, telling them how hard your work is not going to change their mind. That is a true statement. But that particular statement, yes, is true. But I think that it's it's putting aside a larger statement, which is the amount of work you put into it can uh, tell you something about the photograph. It, it can imbue it with some meaning, mm-hmm. you know. And or I'm not, the photographer, right? Right. I'm not talking about you know, stupid artistic statement stuff. Mm -hmm. But if you were an interested photographer, I appreciate something because of some weird technical thing, you know, wow, that must've been really hard. That's impressive from a technical point of view, as well as an artistic point of view, you know, usually Mm -hmm. though it has to have both. I would have already liked the image. I make, I might appreciate even more once I've analyzed it a bit. Does that make sense? Sure. Um, I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. Well, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's not going to make the end product, you know, any, any better necessarily. But like we were talking kind of before the show, I, I mean, when I first saw Apocalypse Now, I, I really liked the film, really thought it was an amazing film. But it was only after seeing Heart of Darkness and seeing what Coppola went through and seeing what Martin Sheen went through and what, what the entire production went through to get this thing made, it didn't make the film any better, but it made me appreciate it for what it was more because of what they went through to get to the end product. Okay, that's fair. And you think that that is not true? Or you think it's uh, some people shouldn't feel that way? I, you know, I, Hey, you're going to feel the way you want, but f- for me, that that's why I keep, I keep sort of beating this process drum is it, it, it doesn't process doesn't 
make the end process or the end product better, but for me, it makes it possible. Okay. Mike also has a question. He says, uh, so here's what he's wondering. Why is it okay for knowledge of process to influence your experience of a photograph, but not for the knowledge of the situation or the artist's intention to do so? Basically kind of ripping apart my idea that you shouldn't need uh, uh, labels to explain. Um, If a picture needs to stand on its own merits, then why should the process make any difference? Uh, well, again, I don't, uh, I, think I don't that, think it makes a difference in, in how good the picture is. Right. I think that if you, but if you, if a picture is good, then finding out something about the process is, I don't know that it would be interesting to my mother, but it's interesting to me as a photographer. My right. mother is not a photographer just to right. make that clear. <laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> um, and I think, I, I think I, I fall on roughly the same page. It doesn't, you know, it's interesting to me because that's kind of the way I'm wired. That's, you know, I, I love seeing how things came about and how things have, have been put together and and what influences have gone through, what filters, uh, emotional or, or artistic filters, not like Photoshop filters, um, to, to get to where you are. You I know? also, you know, he also makes the point that I said that I like Crudson's work now more that I've seen the documentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's saying, how is that fair? You know, like, so who cares if you know who he is? Like, why does that make a difference? <laughs> that is a good point that, that Nikki you, also brought up. You're right. You, Nikki said the same thing. And, and my, my things of the reason why Crutzen drives me nuts in that he doesn't actually do his own, any of his own retouching. He doesn't actually run the camera. He doesn't, you know, all those things, all those things are still there. Right. You know, those things still, you know, have a, I have a little thorn in my thumb from those yeah but it's like that's like saying that, that that spielberg is not you know it's it's not him it's his dp right well i think movie great. making is a very different thing uh much larger anyway the point you know what a movie doesn't just have spielberg's name on it where right. this stuff just has his name on it good point um, good point and and nikki said the same thing to me right after you guys watched the documentary too and and, and my answer was that all those things are still there i just i i i guess i can see watching him make them somehow makes them more interesting to look at if mm-hmm. he, but if I read a paragraph, not about how he made them, but like why he made them and it was full of artistic legalese that would not make me more likely to like them. And maybe that's just my own sort of art school pretense ugh, feeling that I generally right. have. Right. Even when I have to write that stuff for, you know, when I some article about me or some, thing that the right you've got a pretty in. strong knee-jerk reaction to that i've got to write an artist statement i can't stand writing that stuff right. um i wrote one for iberian x's book uh that i have that chapter in, and it's like i felt i i sent it to him and i'm like this just feels gross and he's like no it's it's actually pretty it's much better than you think it is you know like it's pretty good and i'm like mm-hmm. really because it feels like <laughs> i feel icky yeah feels smarmy yeah <laughs> You know, and he says that it was good. So, you know, what what do I know? Maybe it's just, maybe that's, I just have a hang up, you know? Right. Um, so Mike, that's, that's the answer. I don't know if it's an answer, but it's something. Uh, he also, so one last thing before we do our photographer of the week, uh, Jim Acevedo suggested that we start a Flickr group or something. Basically, so that listeners to the show can have a community. So if we talk about a certain thing or a certain technique or a certain way of doing things that maybe people could put up examples of their own work and people can have like we can have a community. I like uh, this. You like this idea. 
I like this. Uh, how would, would would we do Flickr? Because you had said that Flickr is making kind of a comeback, right? Flickr is making a comeback. I don't really have stuff on I mean, I have a Flickr account and there's a handful of things on there, but I don't generally put stuff on Flickr. But if people like Flickr, I mean, I guess this is a question for the group. I mean, is would people be interested in this? Send us an email. Send us a tweet. Uh, it's a podcast at ontakingpictures.com or uh, at Bill Wadman or at Jeffrey Sidoris uh, on Twitter. And let us know if if this is something you might be interested in. I I just want to make sure that it remains, uh, not just civil but constructive. Yep. You know that it's not like amazing picture or this sucks. Right. You know that we actually have real Put some discussions into the discussion. <laughs> yeah. Then then I'm fine with that. And I don't know if that requires a moderator or if it's just a sort of these are the rules of the game if you're going to get involved in this. Mm-hmm. You know, that we kind of have to talk about somewhere that this is sort of a, this is for mature, high minded discussion, not, yeah, you know, I mean, and, not and, propping up your ego. You right. Know? Right. Um, so in that way, yeah. Is it better to do Flickr? Is it better to do maybe like a vanilla forum that allows picture uploads or something or, yeah, you know, I think Flickr would make the most sense, but if somebody has got a better idea, maybe 500 pixels or any one of those, uh, let us know. But, uh, yeah, Jim, that's yeah. not a bad idea. I like it. Uh, all right. So we'll do that. Or we'll at least we'll put it out to the thing. We'll talk about it next week. Uh, who's our photographer of the week? Paul Strand. Who? (laughs) Really? Uh, Paul Strand, uh, was a, uh, people always stick them together with Stieglitz, Mm -hmm. uh, and Edward Weston and those guys. A little bit of Robert Frank, maybe. Yeah, I could see. Well, yeah, I mean, later, you know, later, yeah, Robert Frank after. Uh, but Paul Strand w- was working at like around the turn of the century. Uh, well, you know, in the 20s and teens, uh, I think worked under Stieglitz and Steichen and those guys like, you know, was around those guys mm-hmm. and and took it a step further. And it, his big thing, though, he's sort of like this real photography, right? It was it was about not putting the problem, a lot of that pictorial photography stuff where they're sticking the, uh, uh, Vaseline on the lenses and trying to make photographs look like, uh, paintings kind of went so far that they sort of missed the point of photography, which was that you can create reality, you know, in some, some accurate way. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think his, his thing was that, you know, we don't, you don't need to do that. You can make things look, uh, they can be real and you can still make art out of them, which I think is really nice. Um, there's a famous shot uh, called Wall Street from 1915 when he was 25, uh, where it's like these big, giant, horizontal uh, rectangles and these people walking up the street. But it's really contrasty. So the people down the bottom are just sort of silhouettes. Yeah. Uh, nice. Classic shot. Or the shot of the blind woman, super famous uh, shot of the blind woman on the street. With the mm-hmm. sign around her neck. With the says, sign, yeah. Yeah. Now, talk about, I mean, we have talked about uh, that kind of stuff about, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, that's sort of using this poor blind woman as a... Uh, kind of exploitation yeah. of, of her condition. This is sort sure. of the beginning of exploitation of this kind of stuff. Uh, did she know her picture was getting taken and blah, blah, blah. Um I, I would, that's I would suppose photograph. that she would have simply because it doesn't look like he's trying to, to steal shots from any of the other subjects. They're very obviously aware that he's there. Yeah, true. Yeah. You're, you might be right. Um, he also took a lot of amazing pictures of, you know, there's that one of like the car bumper 
with mm-hmm. the with the with the headlamp or looking down shadows on the street that kind of stuff uh there's a picture i think of the brooklyn bridge that he took uh that again is the kind of stuff that uh you know i i wish that i had taken you know yeah. uh there's did he like, do the the locomotives as well like little parts of was that him yeah, or was that somebody be. else you know i'm not sure we'll have to find them uh he did that crazy picture of the table with the um uh it's just the table with there's a there's a the light coming through the fence posts and kind of like lighting up these crazy shapes and oh, stuff on the yeah, table it's like a circular table yeah, 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 yeah 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 like the, like famous stuff sort of abstracting reality by kind of zooming in a little bit on a pile of plates or you know that kind of stuff mm-hmm. uh which are just amazing and and the kind of stuff that happens with black and white photography that doesn't happen with color photography because the abstraction you get too much information with color photography and you end up sort of realizing what it is beyond the abstraction you know right uh where with black and white you can kind of just stare at it and go what the hell is that you know (laughs) uh also famous that crazy picture of the uh white picket fence you know what i'm talking about no i don't know this uh it's uh here i'll show you view the original image uh very very famous picture of this white picket fence uh Sort of, it's the kind of stuff you know. It, everyone needs to go read that Jeffrey Dyer book because uh, he talks about a lot of these photographs and sort of analyzes them and rips them apart. Uh, oh, there it is. View original image here. I'll send it to you. Um, uh, so just just amazing black and white oh, stuff. Yeah. Okay. And also back in the day when people could be a portrait photographer and a street photographer and a and a and a right. Where nowadays they just want to pigeonhole people, you know. I like the idea that there's people that, that, that you could do a number of things. Mm-hmm. You know, I take pictures on the street. I take pictures on trips. I take pictures, but I do not have a landscape section on my website because I just don't want to confuse people. You know, I want to shoot portraits professionally. I can shoot that other stuff, but it's like, I feel like if I put it up there, they're going to be like, Oh, you just want to be everything to everybody. Don't you? <laughs> well, and it, it, it becomes difficult to describe you. Exactly, you know, People, because that's the what, what is what kind of stuff does he do or she exactly. do? Exactly, yeah. Uh, Paul Strand also lived until eighty five. He was old. He lived until nineteen seventy six. Mm. So Strand was alive when I was alive. You shared most of your life with him. <laughs> nice, <laughs> Dick. <laughs> uh, it's good stuff. Anyway, go oh, look up yeah, Paul Strand. <laughs> uh, he was part of that. Uh, um, there was a Steichen Stieglitz strand show at the, at the Met a couple of years ago. And the strand stuff looks, a, I don't know. They're, I, the more I learn about photographers, the more I see the differences between their work, hmm. you know, where, where it's very obvious that they're different. Uh, you know, and Edward Weston is kind of the same way. Um, Paul strand also took a lot of pictures of his wife, like these sort of intimate pictures of his wife. And it kind of makes me feel like I should take more pictures. Uh, just of, you know, Heather being Heather. I think that's a good idea. Yeah. Although you, you, she does get tired of you taking her picture. Yeah, I'm working on that. <laughs> uh, anything else before we wrap up? Uh, no, I think we're good. I think we're good. Uh, podcast at Ontaking Pictures. That's how you can get a hold of us. Yep. Uh, and if you go to ontakingpictures.com or ontakingpictures.com slash podcast, uh, you can uh, check out the show notes for the show. 
and find links to the feed and to the uh, iTunes page. And if you go over to iTunes, go rate our show. We like ratings and, and reviews. Uh, and if you're going to buy anything at Amazon, if you go to ontakingpictures.com over on the right, you click through the little Amazon thing and a few cents from everything you buy will, will go to us at no cost to you supporting the show. There you go. Uh, anything else? No, just, uh, write in. If you've got ideas for topics or something, you yep. questions, we, we love getting email. And, uh, those of you who have sent things in, thank you. We yep. really like reading them and, and kind of going through them. Sometimes we, it takes us a while to either respond to them or, or get them into the show, but we do look at every single one. So we thank you. Do. Um, so we will, uh, we'll be back next week. Yes. Go edit your pictures from your trip. I want to see more. I will do that. Okay. All right. Have a good week, you guys.